0: The Shaggy Christian Imam, that was great. I'll, let's, uh, I'll, I'll get that URL and domain name, theshaggychristianimam.com. Uh, so my, uh, my wife pulled me in for a serious conversation about a year ago, and she, she pulled out her phone. She went to the text messages, and she began to point out the uh, brevity of my messages to her. K-T-H-X, thanks. And when I was really, you know, verbose, you know, got it. And, uh, and that wasn't the real serious matter. Uh, what she was really concerned about is there was no emoji. And uh, uh, what's that? You know, apparently emoticons had developed into emojis, and she began explaining that, you know, uh, texts have, have evolved where you can actually show emotion, and you need to start doing that. So uh, I have tried to up my emoji game over the last year. I have mastered the kiss kiss, you know, emoji to my wife, even if I just have to say, yes, I'm coming home. And uh, today, for the first time, I'm going to attempt to tell a story using emojis. This is Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill uh, live in North Carolina. They are great church members. Uh, they attend church regularly on Sundays and Wednesdays. They, uh, they're the ones at the, the church potluck that have the prize pie that everyone wants to eat uh, they're they're like every other church member around uh, they try to do everything you need to do to be a good Christian read the Bible and you know tell people to come to church and, and pray before mills especially all of those things uh, but a lot of what they do and how they view the world is influenced by just what people say around them and their culture and media. So of course as they interact with church members they, they find that some people are interested in immigrants and loving them but for the most part as they're talking with people in church and usually it's just in little sarcastic barbs or jokes about immigrants. And it's usually hushed over at that point and kind of an awkward silence moves on. They start realizing that there's this underlying tension about immigrants and most people in their church feel those things. Well, Jack and Jill over time, they begin making those same sarcastic barbs and jokes about immigrants as well. Most of that is out of fear, of course, because most of them have never met immigrants and fear left untreated turns to hatred. And they find that some of these people uh, in their church even express that same hatred and animosity towards immigrants. Well, that all changes when Jill, who goes to school one day, and she meets Ahmed. Ahmed is a janitor from the middle east he does not speak much english but she notices that he takes great pride in his work and he's going around the school with a smile on his face and the, his kids go to school where she works as a teacher and she begins to notice uh, the wife coming and picking up the kids and over time she starts greeting Ahmed and at least smiling at him and he smiles back and says hello and she starts greeting the wife uh, as she comes and all of a sudden for the first time she's met an immigrant and now things start changing for Jill because what does she what does she do about this all her her thoughts and those jokes and those remarks are coming out and it's not matching up with their experience with Ahmed who seems like a joyful fellow So now she starts noticing new things in the scripture. Uh, Passages she's never noticed before, like uh, one in Leviticus of all places, that says the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born, love them as yourself. And then the story of Jonah, which she had always heard growing up is you do what God tells you to do, especially when he tells you to go on missions somewhere, because if you don't, you'll wind up in a big smelly fish and then you'll get it right. And then you'll go to where you need to go, end of story. But as she started looking at Jonah and with fresh eyes, she realized there was more to it. Jonah was eventually obedient to God and going to the Ninevites, but he didn't really want to. In fact, it says when God did not actually destroy the Ninevites, he he relented from destroying them. Jonah got so mad he wanted to die. And he says, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you're like this. I know that you're loving. I know that you're gracious. I know that you're merciful. That's why I didn't want to go. And so he obviously did not obey out of a sense of the compassion and heart of God. And that struck her as maybe relating to her and her attitude toward Muslims. And she went on, and even the teachings of Jesus, of all people, and the servant of the mount said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And even just thinking about Jesus's life, as, as Pastor Wright pointed out earlier today, it struck her for the first time, never thought about it. When she thought of refugee and immigrant, it was always a derogatory term of someone that she was somehow opposed to. But Jesus was a refugee, fleeing from a tyrannical government to Egypt. Well, this rocked her world a bit. She'd grown up in church, and she hadn't thought about such... Things. So she began praying with her husband, Jack. What do we, what do, we do about this? Because this is not what we're experiencing. Here's Ahmed uh, at work. What do, I, what do I do with that? I'm a, I'm a teacher. And it hit her. I can at least start an English class. So she goes to her pastor, who happens to be a bald, spectacled man. And as she's talking with that bald, spectacled man about starting an English class in their church, he agrees we should do it. We should open our doors. And so over time, the church begins advertising in their bulletin about an English class they're going to start for those immigrants. And after time, there are dozens of volunteers from the church that begin teaching immigrants in their church building English a couple of times a week. Now, there are different motivations for those people being there. But overall, most of the people are teaching English to immigrants because they love them and it's at least some sort of practical way to show Christ's love to their neighbors. Knowing her educational background and what it takes to teach people, she develops a curriculum and it's very organized and there's graduation classes once people hit certain levels and everything is going well and over time, Some of those teachers and students get together outside of class. Almost all interaction takes place within the class, but especially the teachers start inviting some of the students over to their home. Uh, It's very much a cultural exchange where you point at the weird food and laugh over some sort of cultural uh, misunderstanding. Largely, their cultural exchanges about the extent of the spiritual nature of any conversation is the prayer before the mill. Even rare is when the teacher actually visits the student in their home or some sort of outing that they have. By and large, though, uh, no one is really sharing the gospel with immigrants that come through the English class. When it does happen, it's usually at Christmas or Easter or even Thanksgiving sometimes because this is the moment where we need to correct all the commercial things that they're inundated with and probably we felt compelled to because the students are going and saying, I know what Easter is about. It is about that Easter bunny. I know what Christmas it is about. It is about presents and trees and they feel the need to correct them and so they share the gospel. But those that are most... Passionate and interested in helping the immigrants those who started the English class and run it find themselves over time Coordinating volunteers and mobilizing volunteers and dealing with volunteers and running the curriculum and filing things away And they're just so overwhelmed with all that they're doing that they're left going What can I do? not feeling like they have the time or energy to invest relationally with the Ahmeds of the world to actually ever get to a point to effectively communicate the gospel. Now, of course, this is a gross generalization, but I have heard bits and pieces of all of that all throughout North America. And all of us have probably experienced some sort of hospitality with immigrants, and we wonder, how do we get to the next point? We, we know that we're supposed to love them, but how do we align that hospitality with disciple making? How do we get to effective evangelism and church planting? You know, we haven't even learned that word yet, but how do we at least begin to think about those things? Now, I've had some experiences throughout the years with this and I'll kind of speak to that. Mostly what I'll share with you is what I've probably learned from others, but here are seven ideas to help us maybe turn that corner uh, to begin to take all of those great things that people are attempting to do, but actually get it towards effective disciple making. The first is we need to overcome our fear of talking about religion. I don't know how many times I've heard from people in these English classes, well-meaning believers going, I just don't want to upset them. <laughs> I just don't want to you know, be considered intolerant. And we'll even quote this this quote that is totally misquoted of uh you know always preach the gospel and when necessary use words well there are two problems with that quote one uh, they say it's from saint francis and historical records say that's probably not saint francis that came much later that's one problem uh the second problem with that is even if it was Saint Francis it doesn't match what we saw with him because he's the guy that historical records do show during the crusades left the confines of the crusaders camp went towards the Muslim enemy's lines with a probable death or imprisonment awaiting him, marched past the Muslim lines, earned an audience with the Sultan of Egypt, and all records show preached the gospel over the next several days and exchanged these dialogues with the Sultan. Does that sound like your St. Francis never share the gospel, be nice, talk to birds sort of guy? Yet for some reason, We feel like somehow just our activity, our somehow English teaching is the gospel. The gospel is something proclaimed. It is good news. We can live out the gospel in effects of the gospel taking root in us, but a gospel has to be something you share. And besides all of that, that guy in your English class, He loves talking about religion and politics. We grow up saying, if you wanna have good friends, don't talk about religion and politics. That guy, that's all that he talks about. So if there's any issue with not talking about religion, it's not because of them, (laughs) it's because of you. So overcome our fear of talking about religion. Show genuine love to people. There was a couple of years ago, I was in this church in Massachusetts and it was a Pakistani pastor who works with Muslims in Pakistan who was with me with a small group of Christians. And we were talking about evangelism of some sort and I just kind of made the offhanded remark, we're not called to make friends, we're called to make disciples. And my point was, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to make friends and build you know, up a rapport with them, and eventually I'll earn the right to share the gospel with them. But a lot of times, once they get to the point where they've earned the rapport with that person, they don't want to lose the friend and so they don't want to share the gospel. But I was gently corrected by my Pakistani friend, who I very respectfully call Pakistani Christian Yoda. And Pakistani Christian Yoda, whenever he talks, I hope I have so much wisdom and age one day where I can actually speak like, speak like this, but he'll, he'll always talk very softly. Yes. And he gently turned to me after I said that phrase, and he said, oh, but we must make friends. We must make true friends, not Western-type friends. And I just soaked in Pakistani Christian Yoda's wisdom. And he began to explain how we in the Western world we treat people as objects. They are people to be saved. They are people that need Jesus, they're their tasks. And because you do that, you don't ever really have a genuine relationship with them. And if you have a genuine relationship that is loving then you're going to share your life with them. And if your life is what it should be, that means that you share Christ with them. So be genuine friends, <laughs> not Western friends. Show genuine love to people. I, when I heard, thought about Pakistani Christian Yoda, I thought about Penn Gillette from Penn & Teller. You've heard of him. He's a staunch atheist. And even still, there was a guy that came after him after one of his performances and tried to witness to him a Bible or something. You can go on YouTube and and Google this and watch the the video interview. And after he did that, you would think that he would kind of knock him down and just kind of, he was so, he he felt, he he, was like he honored that guy for the bravery And for the conviction that he had, he respected the guy for sharing with them. And then he says, this is a direct quote from the interview. He says, how much, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible? And not tell them that. So be genuine friends. Also move beyond the program because Americans are very task oriented and immigrants are generally more event and people oriented. We have shifted even the definition of ministry. We think if the the task is going well, if the ministry is going well, if there are uh, people coming, if we have volunteers, if we've got space, you know, then it's successful. But true, ministry is the love of the people and partnering with God in his work in people's lives. It's easy for us to think about the ministry as the hospitality and service that we provide, the thing, the task, and not the relationship with the people. As a result, we keep on just doing the program over and over and over and over, not even analyzing or critiquing Is that actual ministry (laughs) English can be an incredible tool for ministry but a lot of times we're just doing English we even have to be willing sometimes to shut down the program and constantly ask ourselves what do we need to start doing or tweak or or stop doing to align ourselves with the main ministry of loving people to Christ I've started so many English classes throughout the years. Some have been in churches that are ongoing today. I've done English classes in Muslim-run associations and mosques, I mean, you name it. I have shut down a lot of them just not because they were going bad, but because God was leading me relationally with what had happened in some of these English classes to do other things with them that were gonna be more fruitful to disciple making. We have to be willing to make those hard choices sometimes. Sometimes we need just to think of seasonal approaches so we just don't get stuck in programs and remove us from people. I'm gonna do this for a semester. I'm gonna do this for six sessions. And if I've got the contacts and move beyond that, I'll, I'll start uh, pouring my life into the people that were, were, seem most fruitful for disciple making or whatever it might be. Even when we do English classes, we need to think strategically about how we're doing it. If I'm uh, taking all my best teachers who are horrible evangelists, let's say, and putting them with the conversational people, we're probably not going to lead there. Let's put them with the beginners. (laughs) They're good teachers and they're not going to do much with evangelism anyways. And if I've got like really strong evangelists and maybe they're not great teaching grammar or whatever, stick to them with the conversational group. Just be a little more strategic in how we can get to disciple making with these classes. Always ask, how does this contribute to the main thing about these people knowing and receiving Christ's love and being transformed by him? Ask yourself, does your ministry mainly provide a ministry outlet for your church and Christian volunteers? Is that its purpose? Or does it mainly show Christ's love and lead people into deeper understanding and relationship with Jesus? The clients are different in those questions. One says, am I providing a ministry outlet or service for my church members? One says, am I doing what it takes to see the people being reached? So move be willing to move beyond the program if that's what God is calling you to do. Be intentional evangelist. Now by far the best Uh, English program I've seen in America that is a a true ministry in every sense of the word is International Learning Center in Jacksonville and Kim Carr leading that and, and how they've been able to spread that in different places but one of the things that impresses me most is they just don't recruit volunteers to teach English they recruit people to come and minister to people and they will use English in that but it is required that you go through training in Muslim evangelism to be a teacher in their center. That takes intentionality. It is no surprise that they see a lot more Muslims coming to faith through their English programs than other English programs. They're very intentional from the beginning. And a lot of it is, we're just doing what we know how to do, and we're not seeing how that fits into a larger picture of the kingdom come to the immigrants we're working among. Uh, some of you have seen the, the four fields before. and We've had breakout sessions in the four fields. It's really a simple way to see a process of what it takes to get to disciple making and church planting. In the first field there, you see access. This is how you access lost people. There are a number of ways you can access lost people. English programs in hospitality are access ministries. But oftentimes people don't see that we've got to move beyond that to the next steps, to evangelism and sowing that empty field with the gospel and disciple-making and church planning. And if we're not doing that as a component of our English monastery program, we need to probably find people to come alongside our English program so that we can get there. That's how we are intentional in evangelism obtain gospel resources in the people's language to accompany personal relationship. There was a recent report on fruitful practices among Muslims in North America that came out in the last few weeks. One of the things that they pointed out is that those who minister in a language other than English are eight times more likely to see converts than those who minister in English. Eight times more likely to see a convert if you're ministering in a language other than English. Well, not all of us are gonna go and learn a language. One of the ways that we can combat that is that you obtain gospel resources in their language so that even if I'm sharing in English, I can give you this at the same time. So when you go home, you can listen to the scriptures in your language with your family. You can read it in your language. Do what you can to make sure you're aligning the heart language, the word of God, gospel resources, audio scriptures, the Bible, testimonies of people coming to faith, the Jesus film, anything that you can get your hands on that will show them in their own language all the answers for the questions that they have inside of them. It's a way to bypass our own limited linguistic issues. One of the things that i did in in new york is i started obtaining all the best resources i could in the major muslim west african languages and we developed a, a website called welcome africans en and we ha- are putting this into an app form right now and now i am hearing stories of taxi cab drivers in new york city that will uh will be able to just listen to they'll they'll just Turn on their phone and they'll click on the audio files and listen as they drive around. And, and some of our even West African immigrant Christians who speak these two or three languages, it's never just one language, these two or three languages, they're ministering cross culturally to this West African Muslim group and they didn't have a, a, an African language to, to communicate in. Now they're able to give this site and they're hearing about their friends engaged in scripture and getting things that they weren't quite getting in French or English or another language. You can find those sort of things to make your hospitality a lot more effective. Don't just invite people into your space, but go into their space. In Luke 10, remember Jesus instructed his people to go two by two he told them, don't bring a knapsack, don't bring money, don't bring sandals. Don't even greet anyone on the side of the road. That would be very strange in the ancient Near East. Go straight to where I'm telling you to go, to this village. When you get there, proclaim peace on the house. If they welcome you, then you go in, you set before them, you eat what they give you, and you don't go from house to house. We might have heard of that concept before of find households of peace or find people of peace. But what we don't get in our American context is we do basically the opposite of Jesus' instructions to get to the person of peace. He made those disciples inherently vulnerable. Take nothing with you. How are you gonna find someone that's gonna welcome you into their home, give you food, take care of you, if you have everything you need? But our approach to ministry usually is, I have all this stuff to give all the time, and all that you need is what I have to give you, and I'm gonna give my service and I'm gonna go back. And we're never vulnerable with the immigrants and refugees. And if we ourselves are never vulnerable, then how can we ever have a true relationship that's mutual, or even get to the point of finding a true person or household a peace and well, this is even what Jesus did and instructed to find them. How do you become vulnerable in your own context? Well, one of the ways you do that is you just stop doing everything in your context. Come to my church, come to this thing. We're, we've got this new sort of music that's kind of like yours. Come and check it out. We'll go into their world. <laughs> We're usually not comfortable enough to do that. You can invite yourself over to most of the people from the majority of the (laughs) world. That's not an American thing where I meet you for the first time and go, hey, I'd love to visit you next Friday. But for the majority of the world, when they hear that, they say, wow. You would honor and respect me that much. You would give me so much dignity that you would come an American and visit my home. And you're gonna be very vulnerable and probably very uncomfortable and all of those things we just talked about just by doing that. But if you do that, you're probably gonna head to those intentional evangelism and discipleship relationships a lot quicker than if you just invited them to your church. Invite yourself over. I even had a time one time where I went to this Muslim meeting, concert, fundraiser thing. It was 3, 4 a.m. and I'd been there for five hours uh, two hours after they said the doors open, I waited two hours after I got there to the doors were actually opened, and four hours into the concert, they called me up to speak in front of the, the, the group, and this was like live Malian television as well. This was going out to all this Muslim country. And they said, uh, before you speak to this group, dance. <laughs> Several hundred people here primetime television back in Africa. I turned to the lady and, and Bambara and I said, I know you just arrived here, um, but you don't understand, white people don't dance. <laughs> and she said, that's funny, dance. <laughs> and so I did my best impression of like an African dance and I made a fool of myself. It was probably just 30 seconds, it felt like 30. And I finally went back to the lady to get the microphone. She said, no, five minutes. So I go out again and I'm, I'm dancing. Finally, some people rescued me and came and danced with me and this huge like conga line, like, you know, exploded. And I finally earned the, the right to, to share, even from God's word, you know, on this television station and uh, later I was describing it to someone as as like if you take a fish and just throw it out of the water because this lady had been telling me, this Muslim lady, she said, your dancing was so good the other night. It was so great. I love your dancing. I said, no, this is what it was like. And after I said that, I think she, I was vulnerable and she could finally tell me her real thoughts. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't like the fish that you described. It was more like when you take a chicken and you cut the head off of what happens after. You find yourselves in those situations. But as a result, you become a part of the people and you, you share those experiences. And I, I even met someone two years after the event. She said, what, the words you told, said that night from God's word, I have thought about that. She says, every day, every day. <laughs> I'm sure she doesn't do it every day. But Bible study started in her home as a result of that, even two years later, uh, just by going at 4 a.m., you know, in the morning and, and dancing in front of all of these people as a white chicken with his head cut off. Inviting ourselves into their space, or at least going into their space, it mostly has to do with our own attitude. We want to control things. We don't want to be afraid. We don't want to be out of our comfort zone, and we really have a sense of superiority that has to be shed. Uh, A couple other examples. I was in a a Muslim run association, and we had got all the approvals to start an English class there. And there was one leader that wasn't around for those approvals, and he was like a gatekeeper for the community. So he pulled me inside of his office and he says, Mamadou, which is my African name, Mamadou, uh, tell me why you're here. I was like, oh man, here we go. Well, you know that we are followers of Jesus. And as we have studied the life of Jesus from the Ingeal, we have seen that he gave his life away for others. It's like, you know what it's like here in America. Everyone just works and works and they try to be successful and make their lives comfortable and make money and all of those things. He said, I I come from that world. But as I look at Jesus' life, I want to do that. I want to give my life away for others. These people here, they could be doing all sorts of things like that but they want to give their life away for others and just be here to help in whatever ways they can. He looked at me and said, okay, this is good. And we had established a great relationship from that point. Even a few months after that, he says, is Mamadou, you need to go see this imam. This imam is not like the other imams. He is open. And so I went with my friend Yusuf, who's a Muslim background Christian, ended up sharing the gospel in the mosque with the imam on that first visit. The imam didn't talk to us about all the Islamic, you know, objections he would have. He invited us back. I ended up teaching English in the mosque through a city program. After the city program, I ended up uh, teaching character and values in the mosque, ended up being a shaper of morality in the mosque, which was a very odd thing. And then after uh, a while, the imam said, I want to study the Bible with you. And so I started studying the Bible with the Imam in the mosque with other people listening in. Even the other Imam got jealous later and started studying the Bible with him. All this was happening in their space. And eventually the Imam asked me, he says, do you know why we let you here? I said, I have no idea, (laughs) please tell me why. He says, well, everyone here knows you're a Christian. Many of them know you're like a pastor, but you love us and you respect us and we want you to be a part of our community. We would have never found those people, as well as all the other people we met that we started a Bible studies with outside of the mosque, if we had never entered into that mosque space. Enter into their space. Uh, Even a friend of mine who worked among Gambians, there was a, a leader that, uh invited them to a picnic with all these muslim guys and and the the muslim guys went back to the uh, the african leader and says why are you letting them come and hang out with us he said you're inviting a fight and the leader said if there is any fighting it is only between our own ears when you invite yourself into that space, you begin to find out okay, that might be one of those households or men of peace. <laughs> He's wanting their people to know uh, the Bible. Starting new discipleship groups and churches that aren't integrated into your existing church structures are very difficult for, our, for our, us, the American church, to get our heads around. The problem is. When we say that everything has to be in our space, or this is our ministry, is our church, or whatever it is, we put the onus of discomfort on the immigrant or refugee to be able to come in and be able to hear the gospel. The onus of discomfort should be on the believer for entering into their space so that it is easily accessible or uh, more, more easy for them to hear the gospel. We often do the opposite. So don't just invite people into your space, go into theirs. Lastly, okay, it's okay to start with what we know, but we need to ask God, what is it going to take? We basically say, like Jill, this is what I know, this is what I, what I do, and that's not all a bad thing. We all have to start with something we can do. But ultimately, if we're gonna see fruit and disciple-making, we have to get to the point where we change the question. What is it actually gonna take to see the people reach? And often American Christians who are so distant culturally from the people they're trying to reach eventually might get to a point of saying, there are other people that are believers that have a lot of evangelistic zeal that are of the same culture or at least closer to that culture than I am. Maybe I can come alongside them in some way and help. One of the the secrets to um, Uh, the the International Learning Center in Jacksonville, why they've seen so many people come to faith is they readily make their space available for immigrant Christians to come in and meet people through their loving hospitality and freely go and evangelize and start discipleship groups and churches outside of their center. They've been able to use something strategic that they can do, which the immigrant Christian is probably not gonna be able to organize and get started. But they've been able to take all of that successful curriculum and teaching English and all those things they can do. And they've partnered that with the evangelist and the disciple makers in the communities. And that is what has led to incredible fruit. I realized uh, this in my own life where I, I was thinking about what I could do to stay connected with West African Muslims because we had started Global Gates, this mission organization, and it was starting to spread and grow. And I found myself doing all this admin stuff and being a talking head and I wanted to go hang out with Muslims still. So I went out with my friend Yusuf, this Muslim background Christian, to share the gospel with people once a week. And whenever we would go out to share, I realized that Yusuf always deferred to me when we were out sharing which was really odd because when I talked to Yusuf at other times, he would talk to me about all these Muslims interested in the gospel, Muslims coming to faith in Christ, and it wasn't happening when I was around. I said, okay, uh, maybe us going out and sharing the gospel together once a week is more about me and what I want to do and my sense of fulfillment to actually stay relevant in this whole thing that we're doing. But maybe it's not what's the best thing to reach Muslims. And so we backed off from that time and I ended up just spending that time with Yusuf training him and praying and mutual accountability. That guy has probably baptized around 13 Muslims in the last nine months, seen 40 to 50 Muslims come to faith in the last few years. Muslims will drop off people at his door. Uh, going, our people aren't going to take care of this guy as a new arrival. You know, you take care of him. He's had those people come to faith. That's the sort of reputation he has even in the the Muslim community. I see my role at this point as coming alongside people like that who God is using in incredible ways, not just for his people, but even extending to other West African Muslim groups. Uh, Part of the question in asking what, is it going to take instead of what can I do, is, uh, is using this new English word that a Bangladeshi immigrant friend uh, taught me. He's a, he's a missionary with us. Uh, and sometimes we need immigrants in our lives to teach us new English words and, that have fresh meaning. And that's exactly what he did for me. He says, you know, Chris, I, I should have died in Bangladesh. You know, the imam, he wanted to give uh, a sword to my father to cut off my head in the middle of the night. But God... He has super plan, super plan. He says, yes, and and I I did. maybe I I couldn't marry in Bangladesh for a while because the Muslims would not give me a wife because I'd become Christian. The Christians do not want to give me a wife because uh, I, I came from Muslim, but God helped me to lead a Muslim woman to Christ, and I marry her. You see, he has super plan. I thought, wow, what a great word. Because really it points at if we are all a part of God's story and what he is doing and redeeming all peoples to himself and not what can I do and what is my story and how do I just do what I know how to do, we will begin to lay down everything before God and say, I will change anything to match with your super plan. And when you do that, you start aligning with other super plan type folks. A lot of you in this room are super plan type folks, and you're probably sniffing it out, you know, in each other during a conference like this. It's really the main value in conferences like this. It's not anything you're going to get from me or a breakout. It's really the the relationships you get together and go, in God's super plan, there might be something for us. There might be some synergy in, in how we can accomplish something far greater than we could ever do on our own. In summary... I'll invoke Pakistani Christian Yoda again. If we're going to align our loving hospitality with disciple-making, then we need to form true relationships